0: If you're a part of the student ministry here, whether you realize it or, or not, you are a part of Bell Shoals Church. You're not just a part of the, the student ministry. You're a part of something bigger. You're a part of Bell Shoals Church, which is why I think it's important for you to know what you're a part of here at Bell Shoals. For you to understand what Bell Shoals is all about. And we use this language here at, at Bell Shoals, especially on staff. And we talk about hills that we die on. And what these are, these are core values of not just our student ministry, Andy, but also of our church, core values. These are non-negotiables for us, things that we are unwilling to compromise on. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of these core values, these non-negotiables. And tonight, to kick it off, we're going to look at the hill we die on of aggressive, Authenticity. Can everybody say authenticity? Authenticity. Aggressive authenticity. You see, I I think there's this assumption in our society, in our culture, that oftentimes church is for perfect people. Or church is at least for people who seem to to have it all together. Church is for people that, that dress a certain way that act a certain way, churches for people that that know the church lingo, the amen, the praise the Lord, hallelujah, they know the church lingo, they know the Bible trivia, like they know the Bible stories. If they're asked a question, they know how how to answer it. And I think many people feel like, you know what, if I don't fit this church mold, if I don't act a certain way, if I don't dress a certain way, if I don't talk a certain way, then I don't really feel like I belong. I don't really feel like I I fit in. I think many people, they almost view the church as like this exclusive country club that is just for a select group of people, a people that fit the mold, that play the part. And unfortunately, what I think has happened is this assumption, this belief about church has kept many people from ever even attending church. Like they look at their life and they're like, man, my life is a mess. I have all these problems. I have all these issues. There's no way I can go to church Because they wouldn't possibly accept me if they knew what was really going on in my life. Or maybe they show up at church, but when they go to church, they're like, man, there's no way I can be real. There's no way I can open up about what I'm struggling with. There's no way I can open up about what's going on in my life. Because if I was real, like if people really knew who I was, if people knew what was in my heart, if people knew what I was thinking, man, they would judge me. They would look down on me. They would think differently of me. But listen, here at Bell Shoals and here in the student ministry, we want to be real. We want to be authentic. We don't want to pretend like we've got it all together. Like our staff and our adult leaders and the people on stage, we don't want to pretend like we have it all together. We don't want to pretend like we we live these perfect lives. No, we want to be real, we want to be authentic, we don't want to play church, we don't want to put on a show, we don't want to act, we want to be the church, we want to be real, we want to be authentic. In fact, this is how our our church says it, we say, we aren't a church of catchphrases, we believe that the gospel is real, that redemption is real, that authentic change is available for all who seek it. You see, we truly believe here at Bell Shoals and in the student ministry that real change is available to every single person in this world through Jesus. Real change is available through Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in life. It doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. It doesn't matter how much or how little you know real transformation, real change is available to every single person through Jesus. You see, the gospel, which is the message of salvation through Jesus, the gospel is not for perfect people. The gospel is for broken, messed up people, people with problems, people with issues, people with challenges, people like you, people like me. But this real change that we're after, this real change that we want to see in in your lives and our lives, this real change can only happen when we get real. When we stop pretending, when we stop acting, when we stop putting on a show and playing church, real change happens when we start getting real and authentic, not just in our church, not just in the student ministry, but in our lives as well. So, tonight, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a story of a guy in, in, in the Bible who was really messed up. Like, you think you're messed up, you think you have problems. This guy takes the cake. This guy had some serious issues, and we're gonna see how God radically changed and transformed his life. So, if you have your Bibles, if you have your iPhones, I encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, that's where we're gonna spend our, our time tonight. And we're going to be looking at a guy named Saul. And here's some things that you need to know about Saul. Saul lived at the same time as, as Jesus. Their, their lives overlapped. And Saul was a, a Pharisee, which means he was a very successful religious leader. He was highly educated. He was well-respected. He was very successful. This was a guy that people looked up to and admired. But here's what you need to know about Saul. Saul hated Jesus. He hated Jesus, and he hated people who followed Jesus. In fact, Saul had Christians beaten. He had them arrested. He even had some put to death. He was on a mission to wipe out Christianity, to eliminate all followers of Jesus. Like, this was his sole focus and purpose in life, was to end Christianity, and we're going to read about how God got a hold of his life tonight. So in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, listen to what it says. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, talking about any who belonged to Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I want you to listen to how it describes Saul. It says he was breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' disciples. Like, this was a, a bad dude. He hated Christians, and he was obsessed with killing them. Like, it was all he could think about. He was consumed with, I need to wipe out Christianity. And he's gone to this this official and has received a a formal approval to travel to this city to go to the religious center of this city and to arrest any Christian he can find. Like if somebody says they believe in Jesus, if somebody says they're a Christian, he's going to go there and he's going to have them arrested and ultimately he wants to have them killed. He's on this mission. He's headed to Damascus. And listen to what it says in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So Saul, he's on his way to arrest these Christians. And out of nowhere, there's this blinding light. Completely blinding light just just shows up. And he falls down. He's completely fearful. He's completely overwhelmed. And out of nowhere, this voice begins to speak to him. This voice that he doesn't recognize, he doesn't know where it's coming from, and this voice, it knows his name. It calls out to him, and it says his name twice, Saul, Saul. Like, when your parents call your name twice, you know it's not good. You know there's going to be an issue. This voice calls out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Meaning, why are you arresting and beating and murdering my followers? Why are you doing this? And listen to how he responds. He says, who are you, Lord? He has no idea who this voice is. And he responds and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Jesus, who has already died on the cross, already rose from the dead, already ascended back into heaven, Jesus speaks directly to Saul. He says, why are you persecuting me? And then he gives them some very specific instructions. He says, I want you to go back to the city. I want you to go to Damascus, and I want you to sit there, and I want you to wait. So the blinding light goes away, the voice goes away, and Saul finally opens his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he can't see anything. Like he's completely blind. And these guys that are with him, they heard the voice, and they saw the light. They have no idea where it comes from. And and, and they begin to lead Saul into into the city. He can't see anything. He's completely blind. And he gets to the city, and it says that for three days, he just sat there in just complete darkness, unable to see anything. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He was just sitting there waiting for something to happen, waiting for instructions from, from God. He's had this incredible encounter. And listen to what happens next. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple of Jesus named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, here's what I want you to do. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Jesus comes and speaks to this other man in a vision, this man named Ananias, and he gives him clear instructions. I want you to go to this house, and here you're going to find a man named Saul, and I want you to lay hands on him, and I want you to pray for him. And Ananias hears this message, and he's thinking, you've got the wrong guy. Like, don't you know what Saul has been doing? Haven't you heard what he's up to? Like, he's arresting your followers. He's killing your followers. He's like your biggest enemy. And you want me to go to his house? you want me to go hang out with him you want me to go and lay my hands on him and and pray for him I don't think so that sounds like a terrible plan like if I go there there's a very good chance that he's going to have me arrested that he may have me murdered he's objecting to what God's asking him to do and listen to how God responds but the Lord said to Ananias go I don't need excuses I don't want to hear you complaining you need to go This man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17. Then Ananias, he went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias reluctantly obeys. He goes to his house, he finds Saul just as God had told him. He's blind, he puts his hands on him, he begins to pray for him, and immediately Saul's eyes are opened. He physically receives his sight, but even more than that, spiritually, Saul begins to see. He begins to recognize that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior. He gets up, he's baptized, he gives his life to Jesus. It's this incredible transformation, this incredible change that's taken place in his life. And when you read this story... What what is it that we learn about God from the story? What is it that we learn about God's character and how how God moves and how God acts? Here's what we learn. That if someone like Saul, who was an enemy of God, who was murdering Christians, if someone like Saul can be saved, then anyone can be saved. Like, if God is able to rescue and to redeem a guy who is murdering Christians, then God can rescue and redeem anybody. Like, nobody is too far gone from God's love. Nobody's too far gone from God's grace or forgiveness. It doesn't matter what somebody has done, like how bad they've messed up. It doesn't matter what kind of family they're from and how dysfunctional their home life is. It doesn't matter how much or how little they they know about God and about the Bible. God can save anyone. And students, here's what you need to understand. You don't have to have it all together in your life before you come to Jesus. Like, you don't have to fix all your problems You don't have to make up for all your mistakes. You don't have to deal with all your baggage and all your issues. Jesus will accept you exactly as you are. Jesus will accept the real version of you. The version of you that maybe even your closest friends and family don't know about. The version of you with the secrets that you've never revealed the version of you with those sinful habits that you fall into, the version of, uh, of you with the guilt and the shame and the rejection and the regret and the pain in your life, God completely accepts you as he finds you. And he will meet you exactly where you are in your life, in your sin, in your mess, in your brokenness, God will meet you there and he will accept you as you are. But God loves you too much to leave you where you are. God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. God loves you too much to leave you in your mess. He wants to transform your life. He wants to change you. He wants to provide you with, with real peace and life, real joy, real purpose, real hope, Real forgiveness. And that's exactly what he did for Saul. Like God radically transformed Saul's life. And as we read about Saul, um, eventually his name is changed to Paul. He goes from from Saul to, to Paul. And Paul went on to become the greatest missionary and church planner the world has ever known. He wrote many of the books that we have in the New Testament. And outside of Jesus, Paul is probably the most important person who has ever existed for Christianity. Probably the most important Christian that has, has ever lived. And this was a guy that was killing Christians. That's the kind of change, that's the kind of transformation that God brought in his life. So Saul, he experiences this transformation, but then he heads back to the church. He heads back to the other Christians. And look at what happens in verse 26 to chapter 9. When Paul came to Jerusalem, this was kind of the, the capital for Christians at the time. He tried to join the disciples. He tried to join the people following Jesus, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Like, they see Paul roll up, and they're like, yeah, right. Like, we know who you are. We know what you've done. We know what you've believed. You've killed some of our friends. You've arrested some of our family members. And you expect us to accept you? Like maybe God accepts you, but we certainly don't. You're not invited here. You're not welcomed here. You're not accepted here. We don't want you to be a part of this. You don't fit the mold of what it means to be a Christian. We know who you are. We know what you've done. But listen to what happens, verse 27. But Barnabas, another one of the disciples, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You see, students, Barnabas, he got it. Barnabas understood it because Barnabas knew and understood God's heart. Barnabas understood, look, if if God has accepted me for who I am, with all my issues, all my faults, all my problems. If God has accepted me for who I am, then I ought to accept others for who they are. You see, we are called as believers, as followers of Jesus, to welcome and to accept people exactly as they are. Because God has accepted us exactly as we are. Now this doesn't mean that we don't teach truth. This doesn't mean that we compromise what the Bible says. This doesn't mean that we change the message of Jesus to make it sound more appealing. In fact, we're going to be talking about communicating truth in just a couple weeks. How we can communicate truth in a relatable way that connects with people but we want to be a place. We want to be a student ministry where everyone feels like they belong, where everyone feels like they can be welcomed. And when people walk in the doors, they feel like they can be real. They can be authentic about who they are. They can be real about the struggles that they're facing. They can be real about the issues going on in their life. They can be real about the doubts that they have. They can be real about the the questions that they're struggling with. They can be real about where they are in their faith. Maybe they don't believe. Maybe they're struggling to believe. Maybe they have unanswered questions. But look, if we ever expect people to be real with us, if we ever expect people to be authentic, then it requires that we have to be real first. If people are going to be real with us, we have to be real first. And, students, let me, let me just speak honestly to you for, for a minute. You know, so many of us, we show up here every single week and we play church. We come Sunday morning, we come Wednesday night, we sit in our small group, and we act like we have it all together. We act like we don't have any problems, that we're not struggling with anything, that we don't have any doubts, we don't have any questions. We act like life is fine. And when a leader tries to ask questions, when a leader tries to to push or to probe, we give these churchy, surface-level answers. And we're never real. We're never honest. We're never authentic about what's going on in our life. And you know what that's called? That's called being fake. Fake. And you see, when we're fake, it doesn't benefit anybody. Being fake doesn't benefit you. It's not beneficial to your small group leader. It's not beneficial to the people in your group. And when we're fake, when we're not real, when we try to pretend like we have it all together, all we're doing is perpetuating this idea that only perfect people go to church that only people who don't struggle, only people who don't have issues are welcomed at church. Listen, we need to stop playing church and we need to start being the church because real change happens when we start being real. When we stop being fake and start being authentic. We start being real about what's really going on in our life. We start being real about the things that we struggle with. We start being real about the doubts that we have. We start being real about the the questions that, that, that we have, the concerns that we have. Listen, we're going to be a church. We're going to be a student ministry that's real, that's authentic, that doesn't just play church, that doesn't put on a show, that doesn't put on a mask and pretend to be something that we're not because real change happens when we get real. You know, maybe tonight, tonight's your your first time here. A friend invited you, and you showed up, and you weren't really sure what to expect. You were maybe nervous, and you saw these people singing songs and raising their hands, and some guy gets up here and talks, and you're not really sure what's going on. Or maybe you've been coming here for years, Every Sunday, every Wednesday, you know the routine. You know how this all works. But listen, regardless of how long you've been coming, whether it's your first time or you've been here for years, I I just want to leave you with a question tonight that I just want you to answer honestly. The question is this. Where are you at when it comes to to your faith in Jesus? Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Like, really, really? not some church answer, not some shallow answer, where are you at? Like, are you, are you growing? Or have you become completely stagnant since camp? Do you feel distant from God? Are you apathetic? Are you lukewarm? Do you, are you struggling to believe? Like, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? You're not doing yourself any favor by giving fake answers. You're not doing the people around you any, any favor, any benefit by giving an answer. Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I do my quiet time sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't struggle to believe. Man, where are you really? And then what's your next step? Like when you take a look at your life and you, you recognize, okay, here's where I am in my faith. Here's where I am in my, my walk with Jesus. Okay, what's my next step? You know, for some of you, man, you, need, you may need to talk to a leader and just to open up about what's going on in your life, to be real for the first time, to share about what's going on at home, to share about a sin that you're struggling with, to share about doubts and questions that you have. For some of you, your next step may be to get baptized. Like you've recently become a believer or maybe you've been following Jesus for years and you've been putting off baptism and tonight God is trying to get your attention and say you need to follow me in obedience. You need to take that next step. And in just a few weeks, we're going to have a massive church-wide celebration with all of our campuses. And we're going to have a time to baptize, to celebrate what God has done. And for some of you, you need to get baptized that night. You need to take that next step. For some of you, you need to get connected on Sunday morning. Like you show up every Wednesday. You've got friends here. You love being here. But you don't have true community because you're not here every Sunday. And when Wednesday nights wind down during the summer, you go from May to August with no real connection, no real community, and you need to be a part of a life group on Sunday morning. For some of you, your next step is you need to invite a friend to church. Like there's somebody that God has placed in one of your classes, on your team, where you work, in that club that you just joined, and you need to invite them to church with you. And for some of you, man, you need to give your life to Jesus. Like, there's never really been a moment in your life where you recognize, I need Jesus. I need him to save me. I need him to change my life. But listen, students, we're never going to move forward in our faith. We're never going to be able to take that next step until we start getting real, until we start being authentic, until we start being honest about where we are and who we are. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, God, I thank you that, that you are a God who, who accepts us as we are. With all of our issues, all of our problems, all of our dysfunction, God, you don't make us clean up ourselves, you don't make us fix our mess, God, you stepped into our mess. And you love us and you accept us exactly as you find us. But God, we thank you that you don't leave us where you find us, that you begin to take us on this journey of transformation, of changing our desires, changing our heart, changing our mind, changing our life. And God, my prayer tonight for for us is that we we would live in response to that. Because you have accepted us as we are, God, that we would be a church, we would be a ministry that would accept people as they are regardless of their family situation, regardless of how they live their life, regardless of what they look like or how they talk, God, that we would be a place that's real, that doesn't play church, that doesn't play games, that doesn't pretend like we have it all together, but are real people who are after a real Savior and experiencing real change. And God, tonight I pray that our students, our leaders, man, we would just take an honest look at our life, that we would be real about where we are in our faith, And God, whatever that next step that we need to take, Lord, that you would give us the obedience and the faith to follow through on that. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.